Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence podcast once again. And as always, I am Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. With us in the studio today is Jane Koston, who I'm very excited to get to introduce to you in just a few minutes. But first, I have some blanket advice for all of you. Uh, I've been getting a lot of questions lately, actually, from people asking about the etiquette behind deleting a social media account or deleting several social media accounts. Um there, there have been a lot of people saying, do I have to inform everyone I am Facebook friends with that I'm about to leave Facebook? Do I have to make an announcement of some kind? And I'm here to give you all a dispensation and say, if you would like to quit a social media account, any social media account, no matter how much you've used it previously, you can do it. You can do it right now. You can do it as you're listening to this podcast. You don't have to tell anybody shit. You can just go because it's not your job. It's not a relationship. You can just stop doing it. Uh, I guess the caveat should be if it is your job, don't do that. Like if you if you are required to have this particular social media account for work, don't just quit it without telling anyone. That's terrible advice. But yeah, if you are just like tired of fighting with your in-laws on Facebook and it's not bringing you any joy, you can just go, especially if everybody already has your phone number or your email information. There's no breach of etiquette if you, I don't know, stop using Instagram, but forget to like email everyone in, just in case they were going to like freak out. Like I think probably you will find uh, that pretty quickly nobody, nobody really noticed. Um and that's a good thing. It's wonderful. It reminds us all that someday we're going to die and that that's okay and that the world will continue on without us and um, we can seek meaning from other things. Uh, and you, of course, don't have to quit social media, but if you feel like it, if you want to do it, you you do not have to make a formal announcement. You do not have to reach out to all of your contacts and say, please brace yourselves. Uh, soon you will see me less online. Like, you can just go for it. Um, so go forth, delete or don't delete your account as you see fit. Um and actually, uh, to that end, uh, I'd like to introduce our guest, uh, Jane Kosen, who's a political writer for MTV, who's based in D.C., uh, and you can find her on Twitter at at CJane87. Hi, Jane. Hello. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm good. I've been listening to a lot of Wham! lately, so I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty sprightly. Oh, man. That's a wonderful, wonderful choice. Um, have you been listening to, like, deep cuts of Wham? Like, is there anything you want to recommend to our listeners? I think everyone should go listen to the song and then watch the Top of the Pops performance of the song Young Guns and tell me what you think it's about. Okay. Because there's what I think it's about. Though apparently in 1983, everyone was like, oh, this definitely isn't about maybe a homosexual relationship. And then I'm watching it being like, no, no, it is. So I'd like everyone to go listen to the song and then come back and tell me what you think it's about. I mean, spoiler alert, Jane. You've already told us what you think it is about, but that's great. Now you guys all have two pieces of advice, which is one, if you're planning on deleting your social media account, don't tell anyone unless you feel like it. Um, and then the other one is go watch this Top of the Pops performance and report back to Jane. Find her on Twitter. Tell her exactly what your thoughts are. Agreed. So don't quit Twitter until you've told Jane what you think. Yes. Awesome. You can literally, like, the second before you quit Twitter, tell me what you think about Young Guns by Wham, mm -hmm. and then quit. 
That sounds like just as good a use of social media as any I can possibly think of. It might be the best. Oh, man. Well, um, there's no way to segue from that to our first letter because they have nothing in common at all. So I'm not going to try. I'm not going to bother. Uh, but I would like to start giving advice to people. And I'm going to, to that end, read our first letter. Are you amenable to that? I'm ready. This one's a... This one's, this one's rough. All right, here we go. Dear Prudence, my family and I are normally very close, but we've got a tense situation that I don't know how to resolve. My brother got married very young to a nice girl with a four-month-old four baby. He was not the father, but we accepted Ava as a member of the family, and she started calling him dad as soon as she could speak. My brother was deployed to Iraq, and upon his return, his marriage deteriorated. They both cheated, and they had an ugly divorce within a year. Both my brother and his ex-wife started dating other people, and each new partner made it clear they wanted my brother to stop seeing the girl he'd once called his daughter, who was three by then. He agreed that this would be easiest, but my parents and I were really disappointed in his choice. Ava called me her aunt, and my sons were her cousins. It kind of felt like a death in the family. Two years later, Ava's mother suffered permanent brain damage in a motorcycle accident. Her family took Ava in, and my mother reached out to them, and we started seeing Ava again. She remembered all of us, and she's still sweet, loving, and incredibly bright. She still does not know that my brother is not her biological father. Not that this would justify his walking out of her life. I just think it's wrong that she's been lied to. My brother's new wife sees this all as a betrayal, says that we are obsessed with my brother's old relationship, and wants us to stop seeing Ava entirely. Ava is now seven. Neither of them have ever tried to see Ava, and we've never asked my brother to try to be a father to her again. My brother's overseas again now, and we don't mention him to her. I assume at this point she's just used to having an absentee father. I just want the freedom to love a blameless girl that we consider part of our family. She's essentially an orphan who's had a pretty lousy hand dealt to her, and I feel it would be really wrong to push her away now. I think my sister-in-law should see this as a good thing because it shows how my family will treat children with love and respect, even if their parents' marriage don't work out. My sister-in-law also has children of her own who are not my brother's. My sister-in-law has asked her sons to remove us from Facebook and will no longer speak to us. I'm not sure what she told them about why we no longer get together. My brother has sided with her and wants us to immediately stop seeing Ava or they will no longer see us. I feel like a hostage to their tantrums and just want to enjoy my niece in peace. What do you think I should do? Wow. Yeah, it's customary at the end of letters like this to either let out a long whistle or go with a wow or just like a pained groan, um, any of which are great I, I'll, I'll also add in... Oi. Yeah, yeah. A wow and an oi both, I think. Um, I agree. So I was thinking about this, and I really think that the part where she talks about, you know, I just want the freedom to love a blameless girl, I think that's that's the linchpin for me. Like, I honestly, I don't understand why her family is so, like, why this family is deciding that, oh, if we just never discuss Ava, it's like mischief managed. We handled it. It never happened because this all took place. We, they were all there for it. And then you have a seven-year-old who wonders why all these people want, don't want to talk to her anymore. And from the seven-year-old's perspective, that's pretty shitty. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's some weird um, kind of uh, thoughts, assumptions, motivations behind some of the brother's behavior that you sometimes see in people who who leap into things like adoption without kind of thinking through what it means, where there's a sort of idea like, oh, well, because I chose to become a father to her, I can unchoose it later if things don't work out. Um, right. Obviously, the question is not how do I make my brother be a parent to this child again? Like, it seems like that's probably not going to happen. Um, and I don't think that she needs to go out of her way to try to encourage him to to stand by this girl. Um but I just think that's really sad, this idea of like, oh, yeah, I'll be a father to her as long as I'm with her mother. 
um, happy to let her call me dad, happy to like parent her, et cetera, like just blur all those boundaries. But if it doesn't work out between the two of us, like I'm out unadopted. And again, I know they didn't go through a formal adoption process, but this kind of idea of like, oh, I, you know, I can stop being your parent just as easily as I could stop being her, you know, husband. Right, right. And you can't undead. Like that is a relationship you cannot undo. Right. And that is especially since, you know. Or like you can, obviously. Uh, Dads do it all the time. But right. Yes. But it's not it doesn't work that way. Right. Or it shouldn't. Right. And so especially because. You know, Ava's mother is has suffered permanent brain damage, and Ava's in a situation in which she's still, you know, she remembers everyone. This is her family. These are the right. people who she should be able to lean on. And for, you know, it's not an obsession with the old relationship if your your obsession is let's take care of a little kid who could use some love and kindness. Right. I mean, like, this little girl is not a threat to right. your brother's wife or their relationship in any way. Like, she is not accurately seeing the situation she's seven years old right like it was already messed up at three to think like oh maybe i can just bounce out of her life and she won't remember like three-year-olds are aware they 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 recognize people from day to day they notice when someone goes missing like um, right but that's even like more true at seven like she's 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 got memories like she knows who her family is she knows who you are like you can't just like i don't know throw a like sack over your head and like oh i can't see you maybe you can't see me now like she's right. she's no, a child she's not, a she's not an exactly yeah um and i'm sure even cats notice like when they're rehomed right. like yeah so yeah you, you know you're absolutely correct in saying like this is not a real threat to your brother's sister or your brother's wife rather um there's no real reason for her to like be against this like in any way like it doesn't harm her kids it doesn't harm her relationship um no. she's behaving outrageously yeah you absolutely should draw a line here and say like this little girl has been my niece for the last seven years she's in my life i didn't just like whimsically walk into her life and think it'd be kind of fun to be someone's aunt for a couple years and then bounce like i'm gonna have an ongoing relationship with her that's done and if your brother and his wife and their kids um say like well not that they're kids like they're obviously just going to do what their parents tell them to do they're not making a decision but if their response is then we're not going to hang out like that's really sad and you can say like that makes me really sad if you ever change your mind i'd love to hear from you but no do not abandon this little girl um whose mother like cannot care for her and whose biological father is gone and who's like uh, you know the the next guy who tried to parent her abandon her like no don't leave her no no that's also, this is basically how every episode of Intervention has ever started. So, no, don't abandon her. Yeah. That's bad. Bad things will happen. Yeah. No, you're like you are seeing the situation correctly. I think you have good values in the situation. I think you're trying to do the right thing. I think you are doing the right thing. And I think uh, your brother and his, his new wife are just about as wrong as you can be here. Basically. Yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that. You you, you absolutely should make it really clear that you're not going to change uh, the way that you interact with Ava and that if they don't like it, um, they are welcome to process those feelings elsewhere. Agreed. Yeah, man. This Yeah, this was like a this was like the beginning of a Jane Austen novel, you know, we're just like, yeah, that's this like plucky young near orphan is like got a terrible side of the family and a great side of the family. And the terrible side of the right. family is like driving everyone bonkers. Right. No, there's definitely someone in an attic somewhere. All right. All right. Uh, do you want to go ahead and read our next letter? I would. Dear Prudence, 
My mother battled cancer a number of years ago, and we are so glad she survived and will get to know her grandchildren. But she has an upsetting habit of using her cancer as a way of manipulating situations. If she wants to spoil a grandchild with an unnecessary toy after I say no, she brings up surviving cancer as if that has anything to do with it, and then says she'll buy the item in question anyway. If we might do something else on a holiday, she says, but I survived cancer, so you should spend the holiday with me. It's so upsetting when she brings it up like this, and checks it's a trump card for anything she wants to do. What should we do? I went into this, by the way, thinking like, okay, you definitely got to lay down the law. And then like the only examples are kind of sweet. Like she wants to buy some toys and spend time together on the holidays. Like I, I thought this was going to be worse than it was. Right. And especially because I think that I think cancer is one of those life changes that continues affecting the person who had to live through it. Even when the other people around them are like, okay, we get it, we've processed it. It sounds to me like this person's mother, like, they are still dealing with the fact that they came very close to death and then didn't die. Right. And so I think that in some ways this is kind of their way of processing it because they still see that, you know, especially if you've gone into remission and you've dealt with that process, you still have checkups every six months to be like, is this back? Is this back? It's still something I'm sure she thinks about all the time. And so I'm sure that in some ways she sees her grandchildren and she's like, you know, if my cancer returned or if something happened, you know, this this could be the last Christmas toy I get to get for this grandchild. This could be the last what holiday I got to spend with my family. Like she would still be thinking like that in the back of her mind, even when for her family members, for her daughter, for her children, they would be thinking like, oh, that was five, six years ago. Let's move on. Things right. are different now. Right. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm not sympathetic to the letter writer. I, I, I don't think that they're being wildly unreasonable. And I totally understand that you don't want that to be every conversation. But there's a difference between like a parent who is like saying really cruel things. And then when you try to call them out on it, they say, oh, I had cancer or they're demanding money. And when you say like, I can't afford that, then they're saying, oh, I had cancer. Right. Like. To put it in perspective, absolutely, like, ideally, you will not be having conversations for the rest of her life that are based around what she gets to do because she once had cancer. But she's not trying to do some malicious stuff. She's not trying to, like, interfere with the way that you raise your kids. Like, she's uh, she wants to spoil her kids with more gifts than you need, and, and she wants to spend the holidays together. Again, that doesn't mean you don't have the right to sometimes set limits, but but, like, to keep in perspective, it sounds like this is coming from a place of... She's still like Ebenezer Scrooge running down the street Christmas Day, like pointing at urchins and saying, what day is this? Like she's right. This is coming from a place of like joy, loneliness, fear, wanting to give presents, wanting to be with her family. Like it's it's not malicious. It's not cruel. Right. No, I completely agree. Um, that said. Like, do you think this letter writer has the right to sometimes draw a line? Like, what do you think the balance should be between, like, saying, yep, you had cancer, so we're going to, like, maybe spend some more holidays with you than we otherwise would versus when is it okay for them to say no and how do they do that? I think that it's definitely okay to say no. And especially if you put if you can compromise, because I think it's sort of like, you know, I've had friends who moved. I live in D.C. and I had a friend who moved to D.C. from San Francisco. And for, like, the first year, they were constantly talking about things like, well, in San Francisco, we do whatever. And you'd be like, okay, you just moved. And then, like, two years go by, three years go by, and they're still bringing up San Francisco all the time. And I'm like, guys, we're not in San Francisco. This is different. 
But I recognize that, like, it takes a while to adjust to a new reality. And I think that that's the same thing that this mother is going through. So I think that, you know, if next year she's like, you know, why are we not spending, you know, why, you know, I had cancer. Let's not spend the holiday part. You could say something like, well, I think that, you know, we'll spend the week before Christmas in X place, but we'll spend Christmas Eve with you or, you know, some sort of compromise so that it's not exactly what the mother wants, but it's close and it's not exactly what you want, but it's somewhere in the middle that works for both parties. Right. I think there are some people like we get letters sometimes where it feels like this is a person who it would be impossible to meet halfway. This is a person you just have to say no to. And sometimes there are people where it feels like there is a possibility that you could meet this person halfway. Um, and I think it's really important to distinguish between those various situations. And I think this sounds like, again, maybe there's stuff the letter writers withholding. Maybe they actually are doing a lot more really unsavory stuff. But like if this is all that's going on, I think it's really possible to meet this person halfway. Like and even right. maybe have a conversation like if you and your mom have an otherwise OK relationship to just say like, mom, I'd love to talk to you about like what your feelings are like when it comes to buying the grandkids toys. Like, can you tell me like are like and, and you're not doing it like I want to figure out what's wrong with you so I can stop it. But just kind of like, you know, what does it feel like? When you buy them presents, like, are you, what are you thinking? What kind of relationship do you want to have with them? Like, what what are you grateful for that you're going to get to see? Like, just to kind of get a feel for, like, how's she doing? Um, because, you know, like, it's obviously there's a lot of feelings there. And you can absolutely say, right. like, I want to set some sort of cap on presents. Like, you know, maybe go nuts at Christmas, mom, and, like, go a little nuts at birthdays and, like, one or other two presents a, a year. But beyond that, like, if you give her more presents, I just want you to know I'm going to, like, donate them to charity or, like, pass them off to friends. And you can do right. that. And if she says, but I had cancer, you can be like, absolutely, you did. And I'm so thrilled that you're better. And this is still a limit that I'm going to set. And these two don't have anything to do with the other. Um, and that's just a thing where you just get to hold firm to your no. And if she says I have cancer over and over again, you just get to keep saying, I know, and I'm so glad that you're better. And, like, there's also going to be a limit here. Exactly. Um, same thing with holidays. Again, like, I think it would be worth, if you guys have an otherwise good relationship, to maybe spend a bit more time with her on the holidays or, like, offer an alternative. Like, we're going to spend, like, a couple days around Christmas at this place, but, like, we'd love to have you come up in February and do something special. Like, Again, like, if, if this is a good person, if she's a loving person, if you love having her around, like, find ways to, like, do little special things that kind of just celebrate or acknowledge the fact that she survived something she thought she might not. Like, that's absolutely worth doing. And then, you know, within limits, um, if there's stuff you occasionally want to do that's like, well, we want to spend Arbor Day by ourselves or something, like, you can absolutely just say, Mom, I love you. I love our time together. Um, but we're going to do this. Um, and right. You just have to be able to like do that, even if you feel upset, even if she says, but I had cancer. Um, I exactly. Think, like yeah. that. Yeah. At a certain point, you kind of have to let someone else be angry for a little while. Yep. 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 And just say like, mom, it sounds like this is bringing up a lot of stuff for you. I really hope you're able to talk about this um, with like a therapist or with, and, and you know, not like go talk about this in therapy. You messed up jerk. Um, like, right? right. Like there's a way to say, go talk to a therapist. That's like, I hope you get to, and there's a way to say it. That's like, you're really messed up and you need help. Um, and just say like, I hope you can talk about these feelings with like a cancer support group or, or like your friends or your therapist or your doctor. But like, you know, I, I, I'm not going to, like, dictate all my travel plans for the rest of my life based on, like, your statuses of, of, of having had cancer. Um, but don't open with that, right? Like, don't open right. with that because it's not at that place yet, it doesn't sound like. Exactly. 
All right. Well, uh, let's take it to a next level because I'm really excited to advise our next letter writer. Me too. Okay, good. I'm glad. I have a feeling we're going to be on a similar page. We might even be same paragraph. Um, Here it goes. Dear Prudence, my family is friends with a couple my parents' age, Bob and Barbara. I've taken classes from and have worked with Barbara at my local university. My mother recently found out that Bob has been sexually harassing alumni of this college, which my parents also attended. He's been sending sexually explicit messages to a number of women who've been discussing his behavior in a closed group on Facebook that my mother's a part of. My family's appalled. My father intends to take Bob aside and tell him to knock it off for the sake of his family and his political career. Barbara and I are currently writing a paper together, and I'm relying on her for letters of recommendations for grad school and for fellowships. I think someone ought to tell Barbara about what Bob's been doing. Should it be me? I'm worried that if Barbara doesn't believe me or gets defensive, she may no longer wish to work with me or support my grad school applications. My family's urged me to stay quiet, but no one appears to want to tell Barbara that her husband has been pestering alumni of his college to engage in sex acts with him. Help. Oh, Bob and Barbara. Part of me wants to triangulate this information and find out, like, what person with a political career this might be. I know. Um, But this could be anything, right? This could be, like, a city councilman. Right. Or one of those, like, small—yeah, this this could be a very, like, small-town situation. But I think that it's it's tough because I understand the position that this person is in of just being, like, you know— if Barbara's like, that's not true, or like gets really upset, that is kind of the end of this process that this person has clearly been working really hard on to getting into grad school or for fellowships. But on the other hand, this is gross, like super gross. Yeah, especially this- the fact that like, if it's some if it's something that's happened so often that people are discussing it in a Facebook group, like, right? That's like there's apparent like that's that's gross. It sounds that's like really there's gross. it sounds like there's a real pattern. Um, right. It sounds like there's a lot of documentation that's probably going to come out at some point. Um, right. It sounds like it's been pretty unsolicited, like it's been a lot of alumni of this college. Um, so it's not like the sort of plausible deniability of like, oh, it was this person I was spending a lot of time with and I might have misread a signal. Like it sounds like it's pretty calculated and like fairly gross. Um, right. So there's not a real gray area of like, oh, maybe it didn't happen like that. Like it it sounds like, you know, it happened like how it happened. Um so, like, knowing that, like, your family's appalled, your dad's going to talk to him, um, like, you're all pretty repulsed by what he's done. I think that's the sort of, that should be what drives your next choice, not what might or might not happen to your career. Um, there are other people you have worked with who will be able to write you recommendations. Um, your work will stand for itself. Your work will speak for itself. Um, I don't think you should let Barbara's ability to help or hinder your career dictate um, your next choice. I just don't. No, no. And, I, you know, I get those concerns, but it just seems like this is something that's been happening. And so especially because, you know, if your father is already about to take action on Bob's side, I think that someone needs to let Barbara know. Right. Uh, but especially if you had something like, I think if he, if this were something like if, if there were at, you know, if you could print out the messages or something like that, or just like, print out a screenshot from the Facebook group where people are talking while, like, Xing out people's names. I think sometimes people react. I mean, I think she's going to react badly to this. Right. Understandably. Like, it's not going to go well. But I think having some sort of, like, and here is the proof that might be helpful. I'm trying to think through. That's that's definitely an intense thing to do. 
uh, I'm trying to think through if it makes more sense to have seen it yourself. Like it's always more, um, it's always easier to have this kind of conversation when you're not speaking like with third hand information. Like I think it would be important before you talk to Barbara to um, know what's been said, to know like what he has done. And like, again, you don't necessarily have to give her like specific details about like acts and orifices that he described, but you can say like he has contacted multiple women like unsolicited from this college and has sent them like very sexually explicit messages they're very upset about it uh, and you should know like there may be possible action taken in the future that you should be prepared for and i want you to know this um right so you should know right like before before you have that conversation with her um right i'm trying to think i don't want her to like do anything that could potentially land her in further trouble so like um like don't don't disclose other people's names, right? Like, even exactly. if they're putting yeah. this, e- even if they're putting this out there in a way that may eventually become public, like, don't you? Oh, right now, they're putting it out in a Facebook group that's a closed group, right? And, and there's so that, that sort like, of questionable how private, how public is that? If someone presses charges, could that be evidence? Like, you know, maybe no one's going to press charges. Maybe it's just gross behavior, not actionable behavior, um, right? But you know, either way, this is going to have repercussions on his career. Um, this is probably going to be public um I, I don't think there's any reason for you to keep this a secret especially since you know her and you work closely with her like it would be very difficult for you to work with her on a daily basis and pretend you don't know what's going on um i think you should talk to her um i think you should like approach it as this is something that really concerns me i care a lot about you i respect you i know if i were in your position i would want to know and that I would want to have all the information um, and that I would also be really concerned. Um, so, like, with that, let that kind of be the way that you approach the conversation um, and let her response be what her response is. Like, ideally, she will say, I'm shocked and horrified uh, that that my husband is capable of this and uh, I'm going to take action. Um, she might not do that. She might lash out. She might deny it. She might just have a big emotional response and need some time. Like, But you can't right. control that. All you can do is bring her the information in as honest and as kind a way as possible. Like, There's only so kind you can be here, obviously. But um, No, she, it's important regardless because it shouldn't, you know, the welfare of your grad school applications, though very important, I understand that, but it doesn't, this is more important. And giving this person as much information as they need and then letting them decide from there, I think that that's the most important thing to do. Right. Because especially think about, like, with these other alumna, like, we don't know their age. Like, we don't know if they're just starting out. But, like, if you are a young, recent graduate and you are getting sexually harassing messages from, like, a politician who also went to your college, who was probably well-positioned to, like, help people along in their careers, whose partner is, like, a prominent uh, researcher at the university and also has the ability to help or hinder your career. Like, that's not just, like, the distress that comes with being sexually harassed, but there's also fear of, like, if I speak up, my career might be damaged. So, like, think about those other people and, like, the fear that they're experiencing. Like, you are doing a really good thing helping other people, like, be able to ask for recommendations from people without worrying it's going to come with a side of sexual harassment. Yeah. I think that, yeah. I'm glad we're on, we are on the same page. Yeah, I, I think that it should be, I think it should be you because you're close with Barbara and you know, you know? Right. Like, you're close with Barbara, you know, your dad's already going to tell Bob. Um, and And so I think you are kind of uniquely positioned to do this. And like, hell yeah, hell yeah, do it. And frankly, I, like, I, I think if you didn't and you got a great recommendation out of her, like, you would not be able to sleep well at night. 
Right. And I want you to be able to sleep well at night. Like, I don't want you to get a good recommendation at the expense of, like, your integrity. No. And because you would know. Yeah. That's the thing is that, you know, even if you got in and everything was great, you would know. And especially because this story sounds like the kind of one that in, like, 16 months, some enterprising young reporter is like, hey, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. And then, like, suddenly you've got a giant story. Right. I, yeah. I, that's the kind of, like, if you had the opportunity to, like, do something about it early, you should. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, the odds that this will never go public are probably small. Um, so, but don't think of that like, oh, she'll probably find out anyways. I'm off the hook. Um, think of it in terms of, like, you know, if you d- if you don't say something, she's still going to find out. So you might as well oh, say yeah. something. Like, and especially because finding out through this person that she is working with and knows is way better than finding out from reporter yelling at her outside. Right. Her home. Right. Yeah. That's definitely like minimizing unnecessary distress. Um, but yeah, I agree. do it and let us know how it goes and let us know um, how you're doing. Because um, I, I hope that you're able to to do this and do this well. All right. Dear Prudence, my boyfriend is adorable, sweet, gentle, smart, and deeply introverted. My large family is also lovely and extremely extroverted. Each are wonderful separately, but together they're a disaster. They terrify him, he puzzles them, and every gathering is massively uncomfortable as he withdraws from their increasingly frantic overtures. I just don't know how to reconcile the two. Help. Yeah, I, I know how this goes. Yeah? I, you got some personal this, experience I've, here? Yeah, I've got some personal experience with that. And, um, yeah, it's rough because one side is really, like, I just, you know, especially because when you're introverted, you don't see your personal quirks and introversions as being in any way concerning or problematic. But for extroverted people, introverted people come off as, like, super rude. Right. Especially when it's just like, oh, everyone's hanging out over here. And your natural reaction is like, I'll be over here in the corner. That's not great. Right. And they can maybe think like, oh, you're not interested in getting to know us. Right. So I think the thing to do is to provide opportunities for people to interact on like a small level, especially while doing something together, like a, a, a separate entity. Like, let's say that it's a big family dinner. Invite, you know, your wonderful, kind, awesome partner to like, oh, do you want to help me cook? Do you want to chop up some stuff for dinner? Oh, by the way, do you want to tell my mom about that story you were telling me that you saw on the news? Like something like that, like just sort of getting them into the conversation. Kind of you have to kind of provide the like little Billy Goats bridge to get everyone else together. And I think that that's, you know, because a lot of times – it's just these two sides not understanding each other. And it's not any, like, neither side is being malicious. Right. Neither side intends to do anything um, most of the time. Right. I, that's most of the time. <laughs> but I think that there, you know, you kind of need to provide the the bridge between the two. Right. So inviting people to do things, especially in kind of a small, less intense way, I know that sometimes for, you know, if you're a big extroverted family, like a family dinner kind of turns into like, I don't know, the Royal Tenenbaums or something, and everyone just starts performing. And so I think that that can be really overwhelming for someone who's more introverted. But I think that, you know, preparing for that family dinner or, you know, doing going for a walk, doing something that's like an 
like an exercise or something that's a, something that people can do together while talking in a like low key way that's helpful. Right. I think that works. And and as the common denominator, you can probably also help uh, by preparing both sides, like before they get together, like depending on how receptive various family members are to learning about kind of like what drives your your boyfriend is saying stuff like, hey, um, like Chimothy tends to get really overwhelmed by like a lot of questions. He really likes you guys. Like he's told me that he, he, he wants to get to know you better, but like he can get really overwhelmed. Um, so like maybe the next time we get together, um, like you guys can do a little bit to accommodate him and like maybe uh, like not put him on the spot or, or or whatever it is that you think would be helpful. And you can do the same for him. Like say, hey, I know being with my family is really intense. I just also want you to know like they like you. They want to get to know you. Like when they do something big or intense or over the top or talk rapidly or whatever it is, um, they're not trying to put you off. Like they, they want to get to know you. So you can kind of prep both sides. Again, that doesn't mean that they're going to like immediately tomorrow – like mesh beautifully, but to kind of prepare them both right. and to let them both know like, hey, like you're, you know, on one side, you're going to need to like tone it down a little. And on the other side, you're going to want to bring it up a little um, and and try to understand one another as best you can. Bearing in mind, of course, that he is profoundly outnumbered. Right. Um, and that's and that's intimidating. Yeah. For anyone. Yeah. And maybe like, anyone, you know, if you've ever met like your partner's parents or family or something like that, like. It's it's like that, only more so. Right. Um, and, like, if your huge family is really overwhelming, like, maybe spend a little bit more time with, like, your chillest sibling, you know? Um, like, help help set up situations where you can foster, like, one-on-one or two-on-one relationships with members of your family. So it's not just, like, hey, five times a year, he sees the whole family at its most, like... Remember that scene from While You Were Sleeping where um, Sandra Bullock is with uh, Peter Gallagher's family, and they're all just, like, screaming across the table at each other, and finally, like, the only line you can hear is just, like, I never said Cesar Romero was tall, I said he was Spanish. Um like that line really yeah. sticks with my family for some reason. And whenever we, cause we are not a huge family, but we're like fairly boisterous. Um, and we like to playfully argue and like the kind of code phrase for when it's getting to be too much is I never said Cesar Romero was tall. Right. And I come from a family where um, I am the most extroverted and everyone sits at the dinner table with a book, which I did not know was a weird thing to do until I went over to other people's houses and they like, talked during dinner and i was like oh this is interesting yeah, what, huh. a, what a strange choice huh. yeah talking yeah How yeah interesting. i i like it i'm into it for I, sure I, i've gotten into it but it just it's it was different yeah. um and i think that that's something like Family, i think family dynamics and how you know who, who i don't remember who was all all families are weird in their own and unique way, I believe some Russian person once said. I think it was something um, like all happy families are alike, all unhappy families are like uh, different. Yeah, but I, I th- it's not even just unhappy families. It's just families. Well, that, take it like, up with all Russians. All families are weird and, yeah. you know, like, yeah. you know, there's always like the one family where like, oh, you don't do this? And like, no, of course I don't do this. I'm not a sociopath. Like. It happens. These mm-hmm. these differences exist, and you can get through them. You're just going to have to be the build, the bridge in between them. And people can often assign a lot of, like, moral value to the idea of being introverted or the idea of being extroverted in a way that sort of suggests, like, if you call yourself an introverted person, you can never be called upon to, like, hold a conversation or, like, join a party that I think is kind of um, 
unhelpful or like only introverted people are thoughtful um, or compassionate or interesting or deep or on the flip side that extroverted people are genuinely interested in other folks and introverts are just like selfish and self-centered um, and like none of those things are necessarily true right like you can be introverted and still challenge yourself you can be extroverted and still like learn when to be quiet and when to listen um, like people are generally capable of of doing all of those things so like bear in mind that like your boyfriend's not wrong for being introverted your family's not wrong for being extroverted you can hope to facilitate like better conversations between them. Um, but you're also not going to fundamentally change them. One's not right and one's not wrong. Um, and it sounds like if everybody's well-meaning, like you're starting out well, right? Like you can correct assumptions, like let people know what works and what doesn't and and do your best. And also like if, if sometimes it's a little overwhelming, you can always just like take a walk. Right. Exactly. Awesome. Um, this next letter I love. Because I feel like it's just such a great example of how behavior in somebody we don't like we find wildly acceptable. But if it was in somebody that we liked, it would not feel nearly as maddening, if that makes any sense. Right. Um, And that's what I feel like this letter exemplifies. So I'm going to read this one. Um, Dear Prudence, I have a male coworker who is overweight, smokes, and has a boorish personality. He has an office near my cubicle but never closes the door. Throughout the whole year, he is coughing, hacking, and making other disgusting, congested noises. This coworker also has years of experience over me and is considered a technical expert. The simple answer is we all wear headphones all day, but sometimes we just don't want to or need to concentrate on our work. What can I do so that we aren't grossed out all day if we're not wearing headphones? Oh, <laughs> I, I mean, so the, the reason why I make that sound mm-hmm. is because I I am. So uh, allow me to just explain something about myself. I Please recently do. discovered I was diagnosed. I am allergic to dust. No, I did not know this for <gasps> like my entire life. So do you know what's everywhere, Mallory? Is it is it dust? It is dust. I for years, was the person who sneezed and coughed all the time. In grade school, we read um, A Christmas Carol, and then a friend of mine was like, oh, you're like Ebenezer, Ebesneezer. Oh. And so people called me Ebesneezer. Wow, that's like some it's high-level insults. Ca- I, I know. I pronounced insults I know. like that. I know. It's, um, but anyway, so... Yeah, it's it's you the thing about it is like you know that this isn't great on the person in their office's side either. Like they're not enjoying this. They are not like coughing and hacking with joy and a plum. They are coughing and hacking because life is full of allergens and no one is happy. So, and also no, I agree with you that this is the kind of thing that like if you clearly did not already dislike this person, this would not be something that you'd be like writing letters right, to anyone about. There's nothing in here that says like we've like said anything, right? Like right. we've you tried just apparently it. just sat there and right. not done anything. And there's that line of they have years of experience over me and is are considered a technical expert as if that explains why they haven't said anything. Like obviously if someone's considered a technical expert, you're not allowed to say, hey, do you mind closing the door when you're coughing? Um, right. Like, you actually can say that, even if this person outranks you. Um, yeah. 
That's actually super you're appropriate. So like your your first uh, uh, like this, I would understand this level of frustration if you were like, it's been years. We've asked really nicely. We've like closed the door for him. Uh, we've like suggested he like do the following things to try to minimize noise and none of it's happening. But like your level of frustration does not yet match the like amount of conflict you've experienced. So like what you should do. Um, also, I don't like it when people bring up like, oh, this person like he's overweight, and I'm like, oh, I totally. Don't, what 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 does that have to do any like? Yeah, you know, totally. People just can like sneeze and cough as much as they want. Yeah, They're just allowed. that sense of like I am looking for things not to like about you. Um, I have right. decided that being overweight uh, somehow makes you cough more. Um, and I'm just real mad about that. And I just want to list like all the reasons why this person is unpleasant, unattractive, uh, just so that you will agree that they are like an unworthy bad person. Um, right. And like, which I don't I, agree. It sounds like this person is allergic to stuff and being allergic to stuff is rough, but that person can probably, you know, close their door. Right. And like, and I, you I, can ask them like, Hey, can you close your door? See, that's problem solved. Yeah. No, I, I like I totally understand when you dislike someone and you've just kind of like made this category for them in your heart of just like person I am against. Um, right. It can sometimes be hard uh, to catch yourself when you're doing that because you're just always looking for like reasons they suck and why they're never going to change and they couldn't possibly. Um, and it's like it's a bummer. This guy is boorish. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, it sounds like you don't like working near him. And it sounds like he's also making some sounds that are really like distracting and unpleasant. Like I do think that that's real. I don't think that you're just making that up because you don't like him. Like absolutely. But then the thing to do is to politely say like, hey, Schmevin. Um, when you're coughing, do you mind closing the door? It's really, or like, please close your door. Sorry, like, not do you mind? Right. Would you please close your door when you're coughing? Um, it's really distracting. Um, that's right. like a totally appropriate think, thing to say. I think sometimes people really want to be told that, like, oh, it's okay if I like go around this person, or like they're like, oh, you could tell this other person. I'm like, no, no, you're gonna have to have like person to person discussion about closing a door, right? Which is really not that hard or bad. Yeah. No, it's really easy. And, like, also in the future, it's okay if he doesn't do it to, like, stop by his door and say, like, hey, Shmevin, um, I'm going to close the door. Like, right. I mean, like, don't, like, slam it in his face, obviously. Like, you know, you don't want to get in, like, a door-shutting contest, but just, like, to, like, stop by his door if he's not doing it after you've asked. And you could say, like, hey, I hope you're feeling better. The coughing's really loud. Do you mind if I close the door? Then I think you should ask, actually, if you're, like, trying to close someone else's door for them. I think it is appropriate to, like, ask, is it okay? Um, but, yeah, like, that's appropriate next steps to take. And um, if he is at all reasonable, even if he's normally kind of a boorish guy, like— He's not going to say, right. like, Which no, you have to leave the door open. I must be allowed to cough yeah. into the hallway. Right. No, that would be weird and boorish. But so far, we know that this person is overweight and coughs and sneezes a lot. Which, you know. That yeah, the overweight sometimes. doesn't really have anything to do with it. No. No, um, it doesn't. And even if you don't like that he smokes and maybe it leads to some of the coughing, like, you know, in your capacity as his coworker, it's not your business. Yeah. Like, first step no. is talk to him. Second step, if he's not doing it, is to ask to close the door. Like, next step after that is to, like, maybe see about getting a cubicle transfer so that you're not, like, right next to this guy. But that's that's further down the line from, like, right. that's making like, a request. Are, that's many steps. Yeah. That's many steps. And the first one is the easiest one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, you got to... 
I, I mean, I've definitely been in that place where I have like taken a like it's been a while, but like since I took a like, personal animus to a particular coworker, and instead of ever giving them the chance to self correct or be reasonable, if I would bring them like something I wanted to change, I would just sit and stew and and just kind of think like, man, they're doing it again, they're doing it again. I I just I know if I were to ever talk to them about it, they wouldn't do it, and that's just not a good situation to be in. Don't do that to yourself. All right, we've got one last letter. I'll read this one. Dear Prudence, my mother injured herself last year, and she's gone from living on her own to staying in a nursing facility. Both my sister and I live out of state, but since I'm somewhat closer, I've handled all issues regarding our mother, financial, insurance, medical, living arrangements, power of attorney, etc. My sister hasn't volunteered to help in any way. I didn't think I had to ask. The one time I did ask for help, she ignored my request until I was forced to do it myself. She's made me so mad I haven't spoken to her in months. My questions are, should I have been specific about how she can help mom and me when it comes to her care? Does my sister owe me an apology, which she has yet to give, for basically being MIA? And how do I get past the fact that my sister's behavior has pretty much confirmed what I've always suspected, that she's selfish, if not downright narcissistic? Man, this is another instance of, like, you don't get what you want unless you ask for it. Right. Like, and especially where you already like that whole idea of like you already clearly have an issue with this person. And this is just confirming the issue that you had. Absolutely. That you thought that you thought your sister, your, your sister was selfish and narcissistic when, you know, from your sister's perspective, like, you know, you're not sure what's happening with the sister or why she hasn't been available or around. Like maybe whatever happened has been really challenging. Maybe they're just challenges in their own life where stuff's going on. Like. Independent people have independent kind of goings on, and a lot of them have nothing to do with you, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, like you've given her one opportunity to do something. I don't know what it was. Um, it's not. It's not clear. Like, it, yeah, I have no idea. Maybe it was like a really big thing. Maybe it was really small. Um, but you have not yet like had a real conversation with her about this, and I think that you should. Um, I'm inclined to be more sympathetic to you than your sister. Like, I think you're probably right that she has been really happy to let you handle all this and probably will continue to do so. But I don't think that that means that you should, like, really wallow in resentment at her and constantly come up with, like, expectations that you know she's not going to meet and then not communicate them to her and then get more angry when she doesn't live up to stuff you didn't ask her to do. Like, that's a recipe for feeling bad all the time. And you've already got a lot on your plate taking care of your mom. So I want you to not um, like have this additional emotional burden. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Like you should talk to your sister and you should say, hey, ever since mom moved to a full time nursing facility, um, like here's all the stuff that I've had to take over. And you can kind of lay it out for her. Like here's you know what I have to do with insurance. Here's how I have to like handle her bills. Here's how I have to handle like the power of attorney. There's a lot. What can you help me with? Because I really need help. Um, right. And, like, give her the chance to say something. And maybe maybe she will offer to do, like, 5%, and you will think, like, that's not nearly enough. But, like, give her a chance to, like, not just be told what to do, which, like, in my experience, siblings don't love that. They don't love hearing another sibling be like, here's what you have to do. But ask, like, what can you help me with? Like, what are you available to do? And let her answer. Exactly. Like, you can't just confirm... You can't confirm your own suspicions until you've actually asked the question. Right. You have like, to give her a chance to actually fail. Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. And make it really clear. Like, say, here's all the stuff that I'm doing. It's a lot. I would love some help. I, I'm asking you for help. 
what can you do? And if her response is like this really long thing about, oh, my life's actually already so complicated. I've got all this other stuff going on. Um, Like you can absolutely just say like, I'm not asking if you're busy. Um, I I understand that you are. I am too. But this is our mom and she like requires 24-7 care. um, And this needs to happen. And I need your help. Um, and, And if she gets, if you get nothing out of that, if she just comes back at you with more like nothing, 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 like, You know, unless you are willing to say, like, well, then fine, I'm going to abandon our mother and, like, you'll have to pick up the pieces. Like, I don't think you're willing to do that. I don't think that that would be best for you or your mother. Um, Like, if that happens and your sister actually fails um, to be helpful in any way, then you can absolutely say, like, this really hurts. Um, Like, I'm I'm angry with you. This is damaging to our relationship. And I'm going to need to take some space. Like, I'm not going to be able to, to talk for a while. Like, that's okay. You can do that. And if that has to happen, that has to happen. But but give it a chance to happen. And if she says, like, well, I can do a couple of things, then say, like, thank you so much. Here's what that will entail. Um, and then give her those tasks and, you know, give her the chance to do them. Like, even if it's not 50-50, even if it doesn't come with, like, a really big apology, like, at least you will have stated your needs. Um, and I think sometimes that can go a long way towards making someone feel way less like taken advantage of and resentful when they're like, well, I said out loud what I wanted. I didn't get it. At least now I know and I can move on and make decisions like based on the like knowledge that my sister's not going to be helpful. Right. And yeah, it's it's better to actually know and then to rather than to just suppose that that's going to happen. Yeah. And I think you should also avoid even if she says no saying, well, this confirms what I knew, that you've always been selfish and narcissistic. Um, No, you should not. Well, especially because I think that that's one of those things, like when you start using words like always or never with a family member, like that's not, that no one wins. That's like, that's not really having an argument. It's just kind of giving a monologue. And I definitely understand it. Like you're doing all this work. You're there for your mother. Your sister's not. Like I do want to acknowledge that like, even if your sister did step up to the plate after this conversation, like- you have done the lion's share of the work and you had to chase her down to do more. Like, I, I, I get that. Like, you absolutely have been doing stuff your sister hasn't. Um, and that sucks. And that's really rough. And I'm I, like, I think it's really wonderful that you've been there for your mother in like this very difficult time. Um, but I just don't think it will do you any good to say to your sister, like, you've always been selfish and you're a jerk. Like, I think it's totally fair to say this is really painful for me. I'm disappointed and sad and angry that you're doing this. Um, I need time. Like, that's totally appropriate to say. Um, But nobody hears it when someone says, well, you've always been selfish. Like, nobody hears that and thinks, wow, maybe I really have always been selfish. Like, I think it's much better to stick to, here's how I feel. I'm disappointed and angry in this decision. And, like, that's that's still honest. That's still true. You're not, like, sugarcoating stuff, but you're also not, like, making a blanket statement about what kind of a person she is that would maybe prevent her from hearing any of this criticism exactly mm-hmm. do you think she should ask her sister or um the the letter writer it could be male or female um do you think this letter writer should ask their sister um for an apology N- well uh, no because i think that you're <laughs> asking for an apology for something that this is like it's not like oh you kicked me it's like the sister like what do, i wonder from the sister's perspective what she thinks is going on because you can't be like, oh, I need you to apologize for something that, like, you don't know what you did and you don't think you did anything wrong. That's not going to work. Right. I mean, again, like, if we were to give the sister some of the benefit of the doubt, it's possible that, like, from her perspective, 
things have been fine. Like, oh, my mom right. had to move into a care facility earlier this year, but my siblings got this on lock. They're so good at this kind of stuff. Um, and and they they like in their in her mind, she might not even have associated the thing you asked her to do with like all of this. Like, um, absolutely, like she messed up by not doing it, but she might have not realized like the impact of it. Um, and she might also be a person who regularly makes selfish decisions. Like that, absolutely might be true. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think. I think you can say like it's been really hard for me to do all this alone. Um, I'm. I'm. I need help. I want you to help me. I think those are really fair things to say. Um, I think saying I owe you owe me an apology is not at this stage appropriate. I don't think it's never okay to ask someone for an apology. Like there's absolutely times when you can say to someone, you really hurt me. Here's what you did. I would like an apology. Um, Although I don't think you can demand. I mean, you can demand when you can demand anything, but um, that doesn't mean you're going to get it. And I don't think that. Exactly. I don't think at this stage, like I I do. And a lot of times, like, do you want to demand the apology or do you want to get the apology? Because those are two different things. And, you know, one might not happen, and the other isn't going to make you feel better. Right. Like, if if she's going to respond well at all to this conversation when you have explained how, like, difficult this has been for you and that you need help, like, if she's going to do the right thing, there will probably be an apology in there. She will say, like, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize how overwhelming and stressful this was for you, and I'm really sorry I dropped the ball earlier. I want to help out with, like, filling out these insurance forms or, like, sending money for her, like, home health care aid or whatever um like then then it will come and if it doesn't come having asked for it would not have made a difference exactly um but yeah no i I mean i like i do feel a lot for this letter writer like i think it's it seems like i get a lot of letters from people whose parents like when they fall ill like the care kind of all falls on one sibling and the other sibling sort of like check out and that sounds incredibly frustrating yeah, and I think that, you know, in some instances, though, there's, like, one sibling who's, like, this is my cross to bear, and they kind of are, like, they feel as if this is something, you know, that they just have to do, or sure. they feel like no one else can do it, I must do it. So sure. I think that, that that's a challenge as well. It, again, families are weird. Yeah, families are hard. Families are hard. Don't have one. Um Try to have sprung from the head of Zeus fully formed wearing your battle armor like Athena. Agreed. Yeah. Um, but even then, Zeus had to have a headache first. So He did. He did. He went through a lot. Wasn't that because he had swallowed her mother? Like, Metis, I think was her name. She, he was, like, trying to hide her from someone. And he, like, physically ate her. And then that's how it Yeah, that know. sounds about right. Because your food that goes sounds, straight to your skull, like right? Zeus. Story checks out. Yeah. Story checks out. Yeah, that out. sounds like Zeus. Uh, uh, Jane, Zeus. I feel like we had a very family-heavy episode today. Do you have any just, like, general advice for families before we send you on your merry way? Like, just anything you've learned over the course of your book reading at the dinner table life? Um, I think that my best piece of advice is to listen and to assume the best out of a family member, even if it's like, you know, it's really hard because these are the people who have known you the longest, but not necessarily known you the best. Mm-hmm. And so I think giving people the benefit of the doubt, like, oh, you think that I am still this kind of person or still interested in this. Well, actually, I am not, but I understand why you thought that way. I will give you the benefit of the doubt. And just, you know, I think also people seem to assume that, you know, um, one of my kind of beliefs about family is that, you know, you can 
your friends can also be your family. Your like your community can also be your family. So if your family is genuinely like awful, you don't have to put up with it. You genuinely don't. Like there, you know, mm-hmm. it'll be hard, and you'll feel the consequences of how hard that is. But you don't have to put up with it. Yeah, and I think yeah. That, that would be one of my messages. Yeah, no, I think it it makes a lot of sense to think like it's great to assume the best in people. Um, uh, up to a certain point. Um, and if someone has like repeatedly give you cause to think they do not act in good faith or they do not have your best interests at heart, um, like it's okay to not be around that person. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, Jane, thank you so much. You are just full of good advice. And I also I try. was pulling up your Twitter account earlier to remember how to say it pro- appropriately. And I love the picture that you tweeted while we were doing the show of a picture of you doing the show. Agreed. It was super meta, but yeah. I, th- I thought it was important to add the visual element. Thank you so much. Uh, have a fabulous rest of the week, and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on the show someday. All right. That'd be awesome. Thank you so much. Well, friends, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Dear Prudence. But before we go, I wanted to read to you all a follow-up letter that we got about our recent conversation about the rules of losing a partner at sea um, and how long you have to wait before you can either have sex or date again um, to spare you all the embarrassment um, of showing up at the press conference when they are miraculously rescued two years in and you are like pretty seriously involved with somebody else because I don't want that for any of you. Um, and I certainly don't want that for me. Uh, so here's here's the letter. Uh, Hello, I just listened to the podcast where you advise people whose partners have been lost at sea about how long to wait before starting to date again. Solid advice. I'll abide by it should the situation arise, which I'm very glad to hear, by the way. Uh, do you have any guidelines for how long people stranded on desert islands together should wait to start dating each other? This is a fabulous question. I'm so glad you brought it up. Um, It has absolutely been on my mind since I had the conversation about Lost at Sea. Um, And my answer is totally the opposite. With a deserted island, anything goes. Absolutely anything goes. Um, You are on a deserted island. You are under duress. You have no idea how long you'll survive. If you are lucky enough to be on a deserted island with other people, uh, especially other people that you find like sexually or romantically compelling, go to town. There are no rules. Um, it is not cheating. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say you should observe the first 48 hours out of respect, right? Because like you could be rescued. Those are, that's probably like the safest window for rescue is the first 48 hours. So you want to make sure that like you're not actually having sex like seven hours after you've been stranded when a helicopter like touches down. That would be embarrassing for you. Uh, and I don't want that for you. Again, all my advice is always done to minimize embarrassment and to maximize just like social lubrication. So 48 hours. Um, which you should be dedicating the first 48 hours to lighting shelter uh, signal fires and building shelter and finding food and water anyways. Like you should you should not be worried about that. But more than 48 hours, you have to assume that you are in there for the long haul. And if like during your fight for survival, you have enough energy to want to have sex, absolutely go to town, 
get into a relationship, get involved. Like, if you have to come back and you're like, I'm sorry, I fell in love with this person on the deserted island. We have to be polyamorous now. Um, you you get to do that. I mean, they they get to say no, obviously. But, like, yeah, you absolutely. You're the one and you're the one having a tough time. Rest easy knowing that your partner back at home is staying faithful because they don't know if you're alive or dead. Um, and that you, uh, although you're going through a lot, probably developing scurvy, um, you at least have the comfort of a warm body in the face of probable impending death. Because, um, you know, you got to be compassionate about situations like that. Thank you very much for checking in. Uh, please always, as always, guys, feel free to write to me with any questions about what sort of like wild, missing, stranded situations um, you want me to make relationship rulings about. I can make rulings about like, you know, gravity wells, wormholes, time loops, whatever you got. I'm here to tell you how long you have to wait. So give me a call. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. It helps new people find the show, and then more of you get advice. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. That's 401-371-3327. With an annoying smile When I saw that girl upon your arm I knew she won your heart With a fatal charm I said, soul boy Let's hit the town I said, hey boy And what's with the frown? But in return All you could say Was hi, George Meet my fiancé Guns, guns Having some fun Crazy